Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership. Join us to explore lessons in leadership that demonstrate how you can live in the center of God's will. All right, well, hey, welcome to season three of the Joy of Leadership. Uh, Today in our studio, we have a dear friend, Cornel Patra, and uh, we're going to kind of hear his story a little bit today. So, Cornell, it is great to have you on the show. It's good to be here, Dr. Taylor. What a pleasure to be with you on this uh, podcast. Okay. So, Cornell is a, is a pretty unique guy uh, and a, a, a high-end attorney in immigration law. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that story, uh, an immigrant story as well, which I can relate to on a certain level for myself as well. And, uh, and, and really just a story of God's grace. And so, hey, what I'd, what I'd love to do is we're going to give a really short snapshot of, of kind of who you are right now, and then we're going to pause that, and we're going to dive backwards into your life and kind of walk a little bit chronologically through. So give us a little bit of a feeling, just, you know, what does your law, your law firm look like? Where are you based? All of those different pieces. Just give us a small picture of what that looks like now. Yes, yes. We uh, have a small law firm in Suwannee, Georgia, and we're focused on um, those people who come to this country and need assistance. Uh, we treat them with honor and dignity. Uh, the Bible says that uh, God loves uh, the alien, the widow, and the orphan. And I think that um, the aliens uh, need to uh, need attention from us to love on them and treat them with honor and dignity. Mm. I know there are lots of issues about that uh, hot topic of immigration in the United United States, but uh, there is a way to deal with those people who are here in the United States. You and I, we uh, came to this country through the legal process, Mm -hmm. but some of them don't. What do we do with them? They're still God's children. How do we treat them? Right. And um, the Lord found me in, in, in the eye of this storm that's going on in this country. There are millions of people who need the Lord. And I find myself doing my law practice, but um, talking to people about Christ. Mm. In my business, I've led many people, and I have an opportunity to lead people to Christ every day. That's awesome. And uh, before, when I, uh, we may touch on this, I was a pastor, and I preached a couple of sermons on um, Sundays, but um, I didn't have the opportunity that I have now to minister to people the way God opens up doors every day. Well, that's why really one of the big reasons why I'm excited to have you on the show. It's really the epicenter of what we do. The whole the whole point of the joy of leadership is like an itch that I've had for about 25 years, really. And I have been fascinated by friends of mine who are at the top of their their realm in their career path, and they're incredibly successful in whatever realm that is. For you, law. Uh, but men and women who have truly understood what it is to have their vocation be their calling. And so I know that, that I know that's how you live. Frankly, it's why I get excited about our friendship, just because I, I really see uh, that being lived out every day. Now, take me back to the law firm. Do you have multiple locations on that as well? We do. We have multiple locations. We have one in Gainesville. We have one in uh, um, Suwannee, Georgia. And then I do travel to Alabama and to Tennessee. And it's a, a great opportunity, a great privilege, an honor to be able to serve God's uh, people who are That's down great. and under. And do you have you have branches in Alabama and Tennessee as well? We, I travel there. We okay. don't have a permanent uh, place, but we, we do have a location in both states okay. where we meet with people. That is awesome. That is yes. awesome. I did. I actually didn't know you had that many locations yes. until I was going through your bio stuff. So that's 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 pretty cool. Right. And then tell me about your beautiful bride and your kids as well. Yes, we. Um, I am married to Christina. Uh, we've been married for uh, over three thirty three years now, and we will celebrate in August our. 34th. And uh, we have five children. Um, All five children went through Hebron Christian Academy. They um, were really blessed to benefit from uh, the educational system, the private educational system that we have here in the heart of Gwinnett County. Right. And now you've got a grandkid too, right? 
Yes, we have a wonderful grandkid yeah. that we have spent a week with with our entire family at a family camp in South Carolina. That's it was great. beautiful. That's great. Well, my wife and I work. We're coming up on thirty years this summer, and uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, and listen, I, I talk all the time about grandkids. I think I've been wanting grandkids <laughs> as long as I've had kids. Uh, but we're coming up on our first grandchild. So our, wow! Our so first grandchild the big in question, November. the big question is, uh, if grandkids. Grandkids are so beautiful. Why didn't God give us grandkids first? First, that's right. <laughs> so, well, but listen, we're excited about that. So I wanted to give a small nutshell on kind of where you are. And just so that the audience will be able to understand, hey, this is, this is somebody who's really at the top of their realm uh, and yet humbly seeks uh, the direction of the Lord to really, to really eke out what it is to have a calling in the middle of a vocational experience that is legal. Right. And so that, that's kind of that's the itch that we scratch uh, on this show. I, I, one of my, my biggest goals for my students here at Hebron is that they will understand that they can be experts in the field that God has called them to. And yet they never have to minimize their Christian walk. If, if anything, we need to go just the opposite and be really intentional and deliberate with our faith in the middle of pursuing excellence vocationally. And so you're just, a, you're a cool picture of what that looks like. That's correct. I, I give glory to God and God is on top and I am just an instrument in God's hands. If someone would have told me some 30 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing today and that, that I would be in the position that I am today, I wouldn't have believed it. Mm. It's God's grace. That's right. I give glory to God for everything that I have. Actually, we don't own anything in this world. Everything belongs to God, even right. our careers. Yeah. So uh, our profession that God gives us is just an instrument that we use to be uh, vessels of honor in his hands That's and right. to lead others to Christ and to serve others. Uh, you've probably heard that God does not uh, call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. He called me and he equipped me and he equips his people all over the world to stand up in and, and be those people in the gap of our communities and our society to bring Christ into the picture wherever we are. And uh, that is a call for all of us. That's right. Many people think that if you only a pastor is the one who needs to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But the call is for all of us. There is no exception in the body of Christ. I feel very honored that God called me and he equipped me. And he gave me the opportunity and the platform to give Christ, to present Christ to many people every day mm -hmm. of my profession. Mm -hmm. And this call is on everyone. People rise up from uh, Hebron Christian Academy, from uh, schools, from universities, but and, and their careers is, is just uh, a a cover up for the call of God That's right. to be instruments of honor in yeah. his hands, wherever we are and whatever we do. You know, and I, I think that this, this role, this kind of, uh, this idea of calling uh, in the midst of our vocational experience, our, our vocational experience of excellence, this calling though is going to become even more important in the years to come. There have been certain things that have been, we've been able to assume about American culture uh, with the idea of religiosity, being a faith-based country, some different things that I know that we can kind of call into question some of those ideas of deism versus theism. And I mean, some interesting components with that. However, based on biblical principles, for sure, those are being minimized in today's day and age. They just are. And there, there's so much of what I believe that, in, in, which is why I feel that my calling in preparing students for what the world's going to look like for them, uh, my calling in education is so vital because, frankly, a lot of people won't approach a church, but they will approach a school. And so for us to be able to prepare students to understand what their mission of excellence looks like in whatever sphere is so important. So that's a, that's a soapbox I'd love to stand on, uh, and I think I could stand there for a long time. But I want to pause. Uh, I enjoyed reading your first book uh, not too long ago, a couple months ago when I was away for a weekend. Uh, I took your first book with me and really enjoyed it. I told you when I got back because there were about six different elements there where you you told little glimpses of your story uh coming out of romania and then when i got back i said i i need the whole version like i need and you told me that you're actually writing the next book is going to have that's this, correct right? that's okay correct. good so i'm eager to hear you know to read this next book 
eager to see the movie when it comes out, you know, maybe at some <laughs> point in time. But, but take me back, take me back to, to, to young Cornell, uh, back in Romania, and tell us that story just a little bit about, about how you came out of that country, what that pressure, that political pressure looked like uh, with, a, with a communist uh, structure, and, uh, and then a little bit of what that story looks like in coming to America. Take me back to that, that early Cornell and tell me how God was already working in your life. I, I can I look back and I see the, the hand of God working in my life ever since I was born. Actually, when uh, my mother became pregnant, uh, we lived in a very small village in, in the back of the country of Romania. And uh, the midwife, who was the doctor in the village, um, asked her to abort me because mm. uh, it was very hard to raise kids in, uh, during those days. And my mother had the fear of God not to put an end to my days. I I was born in this country in in a country that was um, economically uh, and politically and in every way possible um, beat down by the system, by the communist system, by the socialism system that was brought into the country that was ushered in at the end of the Second World War. Um, as you know, Romania uh, emerged from the Second World War as a very poor country, and uh, part of Romania, Moldova, was annexed to, um, uh, was taken away from uh, Romania, and, and it became an independent country, and it was dominated by the Russian uh, Empire at that time. Um, and uh, Romania uh, gave in to the system of uh, socialism, and uh, little by little, all the freedoms of the people were taken away mm. i was born in, in 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 the midst of this political um uh crossroad of romania where romania was transitioning from a very prosperous and a very beautiful um country that it was to a country that was dominated by politics that was geared towards socialism toward dictatorship towards communism and people gave away their freedoms one by one and they didn't know that uh, in time, they many of them would uh, be persecuted mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. uh, the same people that they trusted. Uh, and I see that danger here in this country. Right. Anyway, I was born in a family where um, 10 children were born in my family. We were a very large family. Very what year were you born? I was born in 1964. Okay. And... Um, I was the third one born in the family, and I was uh, the third and the boy that was supposed to work hard. Um, uh, there, as soon as uh, you were able to walk, you received uh, chores and tasks around the house. So I grew up uh, with a very strong work ethic, <laughs> working in the fields, taking care of animals, uh, working on the farm. And um, that is a danger of the people who um, are, are raised up in that work environment and strong work ethic because they become workaholics and one of that became one of my weaknesses mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. I, I i love to just pull hard and work hard right. uh, day in and day out people who grew up in agrarian uh, cultures know how to work hard because you, <laughs> you know that the day starts early and it ends late i can relate to that as well okay so um at the age of eight i was sitting on this um pew in a small church in a small village in Romania and it was not, not much just dirt floor in, in that small church with two blocks of wood and a, a board uh, nailed to the two uh, blocks of wood and I sat there and the Lord searched my heart. It was the first time in my life that I remember how God messed with my heart mm -hmm. and he called me to uh, be an instrument of honor and mm -hmm. preach the gospel. So at eight years old, at the age of eight, I was sitting there and I felt the presence of God in my life and I started to cry in as a small kid crying in the church. That was very unusual, but the Lord searched my heart. And then I grew up, we moved on to the city and at the age of 14, I gave my life to the Lord at a sermon on a Sunday evening. It was the 2nd of September, 1978. I was in that church and I heard the gospel message and I went forward and I gave my life to the Lord. And ever since then, the Lord did great things in my life. Uh, it was not easy to live a, a Christian life in Romania because Christians were persecuted. I used to go to school on Monday morning and I had to stand up before the class 
and give an account of how I've spent my Sunday and why I went to church and was I prepared for class and did I read, did I do all my homework um, and at times we were called to school on Sundays to uh, distract us from going to church. Really? Yes. So it was really kind of a state goal. It was a idea. state goal to produce a new man, a new person that was brainwashed, mm-hmm. where God did not exist or should not exist because the state was took the place of God. And the state knew better what every individual needed. All that we needed to do is to just acquiesce to the leadership of one person, one dictator, one government, and uh, just do what whatever they said. And um, that was the system that I grew up in in the country of Romania. And um, my parents were heavily involved in the church, um, a very local church, but lots of people, and including my parents, were persecuted because of their faith. I tried to escape Romania um, several times. They caught me. They put me uh, in jail. They, um, I... I served time uh, in a labor camp and um, I, I, um, I, I suffered in some ways because of my desire to be free and um, at my third attempt the Lord opened up the door for me and I, I escaped from Romania into Yugoslavia at that time it was Yugoslavia now it's a broken down country in several countries but I escaped and I made my way through Yugoslavia into Austria and I was in um, a refugee camp for about a year and now just you or, or members of your family just well. me just just you. me and as uh, when i left after i left romania obviously my parents were persecuted and uh, security intelligence officers who heard that i escaped romania they came to their house and they asked them interrogated them to see if they knew about my intent to escape romania mm. and they were under very much pressure and prosecution because they um condoned a person in their home to desire or to uh, want to escape and who actually escaped communism. How old were you when you escaped again? I was 18 uh, 18. years of age when I attempted the first time. um, And then when I escaped, I was 24. 24. Okay. Now, none of your siblings, have any of your siblings done the same thing? So... um, after I escaped Romania, I was in the refugee camp. I um, uh, I was granted asylum to come to this country. And after I uh, came to the United States, got married to my wife in Portland, Oregon, and then we went to school to South Carolina, a Bible college. While we were in our second month, actually in the month of November, we received news that my brother, who escaped, he wanted to come to the United States as well. He was um, He was killed. Mm. Um, in his pursuit of freedom. Um, And that really was a big um, turning point in my life. Um, A turning point to the uh, the extent that I I wanted to go back to Romania. And I, I prayed really hard that God would change that country. And after my brother was killed in November, towards the end of November, the revolution in Romania started in towards the middle of December of the same year, 1989. And uh, on Christmas Day, the dictator and his wife were uh, prosecuted and put to death because of their atrocities that they committed against the whole nation of Romania for decades. So uh, my brother, if he would have waited a, a couple of more months, he could have come to the mm. United States without um, all uh, that he went through. But now he's with the Lord. And um, I did go back to Romania, and I wanted to get involved in in, in, in the process of uh, uh, setting up a good legal system in the country with freedoms, uh, religious freedom. And uh, we did do some work to that extent. But while we were in Romania, the Lord called my wife and I to uh, come back to the United States, finish our Bible education at a Bible school in South Carolina, and then continue with law school, with law education. And we pursued that. We went to Regent University uh, for several years, uh, completed our law school education, and then uh, with children being born, five of them, while in law school and after, we uh, moved uh, to Georgia where we started the law practice, and we lived here in this area for, um, uh, for most part of our family as the kids grew up. As you look at kind of how the Lord directed your path, when you were when you were younger, living in Romania, living in Romania underneath this oppression, 
what were you thinking about for your vocational roles? Was it going to be farming? Was it going to be a pastor? Uh, what were you thinking about during those periods of time? Well, that's that's a very interesting question because when uh, when my colleagues, all of them, uh, graduated from high school, they pursued uh, a university degree, and uh, lots of them uh, had their path cut out for them because of their fathers who were right. involved in the government, who had connections, and uh, there it, everything was based on connections and bribery right. and and but you had a strike against you a huge one because of n- christian parents not only one but multiple because i i was already i attempted to escape romania that was a big one against me and then the fact that i was a christian and of course uh, all the paperwork for admission into the university um uh, education were read and uh, were checked out and uh, of course i was denied uh, admission and uh, there i was in romania and looking at all my friends that I graduated with from high school and they were all uh, moving on in life and uh, getting their education in universities, engineers and doctors and, uh, and I was there and not being able to do much but I had a dream and my dream that was that I would escape and I would be free one day and the Lord made a promise to me and at the right time the Lord fulfilled that promise through miracles. God made a miracle. The way he made a miracle for, for Israel to come out of Egypt, he made a miracle for me to come out of a communist country. It wasn't easy. My brother lost his life. Many others lost their lives trying to escape. But uh, I remember being there on, on, on the border of Romania, between Romania and Yugoslavia, and the Lord performed a miracle. I was hidden in a cornfield and waiting for the guards to move away and with a friend of mine. And uh, when the time came, uh, w- both of us were like paralyzed. That we were so afraid because we we knew that lots of people were shot to death trying to cross the line, but the Lord was so gracious and we were able to escape. I will write all these details in my um, book of how I escaped communist Romania. But looking back and looking at the present um, and where we are now here in the United States of America. I have to relate what I'm about to say with another little story. When I was in Romania, I I was able to learn a little English and translate for the people who came to my church. And that was against the law to speak with foreigners Mm. because you had to give um, their names and report what you talk to them. It it was a risky thing to do that. And that's why my life was in danger in Romania because I, 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 I did not... Um, cooperate with, uh, I was not an informant to the security uh, officials, intelligence officers about the people who came to our church and brought us Bibles and talked to us about God and encouraged us. And when I refused to do that, my life was uh, threatened. I was uh, called in by a security and a security intelligence officer and he threatened me. But he also offered me, he said, if you cooperate with me and if you work with me, if you are, you will become my informant. I'll pave the way for your education in university and of course I declined that and um, I I received word that they were on my heels to Mm. get me and put me in in, in jail and many people who were put in jail um, they never came out so the Lord just um, gave me that desire for freedom and one time a missionary gave me a chocolate and on it it had the flag of the United States it was a small chocolate so I cut the stripes and the stars and I put them on a bigger piece of paper and I put it on my wall in my room. How old were you then? And I I was about probably about 15, 16 and that was uh, the symbol of freedom for me and it still is. Mm. If you come to my house you will see the flag of the United States flying. Mm -hmm. That's what I I find so often when when I'm discussing with other folks who have you know been born and many times grown up in other countries uh, and then they've emigrated to the United States. They tend they tend to take everything uh, seriously. That they're not taking anything for granted because they've understood what what having a lack of freedom looks like. And therefore, the freedoms that we experience in this country they cherish. Um, 
and I and I love that side. And I, and I love the fact that it was actually a question I was going to ask: Were you going to the U.S. or was it just fleeing from Romania? So it was very much your goal was to get to the United States of America. That's correct. Actually, after I escaped Romania, I um, I was granted asylum in Austria, and I was given an opportunity to uh, settle in Austria or Germany or any other country in Europe, and I said no. My dream is to come to the United States. And I, I said all those years when I was in, 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 in Romania in captivity and wanting to be free, I said to myself, if I will ever be able to put my feet on the blessed ground of the United States of America, I will literally kiss that ground. Mm. On June 13th, 1989, that airplane packed up with immigrants landed on Kennedy Airport. I exited the doors and I said, I need to keep my vow. <laughs> and you went down and kissed, <laughs> kissed the ground. And it was too dirty in the airport <laughs> that day, but I, I, I did it later on. Okay. And I have to say um, that I love this country, yeah. but I am concerned about the direction that we are going. Right. And and for some reasons, I see such a big disconnect between the generations of this country. I got a little bit of taste of, of the true American culture by living in, in Greenville, South Carolina for several years and meeting people and understanding the American culture and the moral fabric of this nation, the real true Americans and patriots and, and living a life of honesty and integrity and putting God first. And yet, I see a disconnect between that generation and the, the new generations that are coming and how people are straying away from God's precepts, from God's absolutes, and how in straying away from God, we, we give up our freedoms and we, we, we regress to what other nations emerged from, from socialism and from other forms of dictatorial um, uh, regimes. And when I see that, just hurts my heart really badly. I love this country and I pray to God that we will never give up our freedoms. There is so much that's at stake during these times and, and the transitional times from one generation to another. And I know that you are at the crossroads mm -hmm. of these cultural wars that are happening in this country. I want to dig deeper into that in just a minute because I think, I think there's some real answers uh, that, that we can share with the audience as well. Uh, let me let me jump back into the story just because I, I, I get itches and I got to scratch. So <laughs> the first attempt at 18 to the second attempt and the successful attempt at, at, at escaping in tw at 24, you've got a six-year period there where they're forbidding you to do university because of the black mark on your name. Uh, what are you doing during that period of time? Are you working in the city? What are, I mean, you're a young man growing up in, in you know, in, in that that area, what does that look like for you? I worked in a, a, a toy company. Okay. I, I worked in a tool and die uh, shop. I've learned a lot. And, um, but I was also very active in, in the church. Okay. We, I was part of a group of young um, men and young women, and we would go out in the villages and evangelize and sing the message of the gospel, and I would be asked at times to preach the gospel. I remember one time I was so, so much in uh, wanting to, to preach a message. I got up on a Sunday morning, and I walked for many miles because God called and put that desire on me to go and preach the gospel to a remote village church far away from my city. And, um, but, but the life in, in, in Romania during those years was, was very tough. Economically was very tough, but I, I stuck with my family. I worked, I, um, helped my brothers going up and my parents who were also struggling economically. It was not easy, but yes, I, I, even though I was longing to escape and come to the United States of America, God did something in that waiting period, in that, in those years of waiting and and hiding myself into the shadow of the hands of God and God did something in me he matured me but that's that's what I want to point out I think I think so often people are anticipating that they'll start to to really honor the Lord once the blessings come 
And, and I think it's so important for us to see that there are times when we are in a holding pattern, when we're in a waiting period. And, and, and God is really kind of asking during those periods, how will you live? Will you remain faithful? And so here you are working in a tool and die company, uh, certainly not in the goal, the vocational goals that you had for your life, and not even in the country that you had dreamed about uh, since we, you were a young man. And yet in the midst of that, the commitment to Christ came first at that age of 14, I believe you said. Uh, and then the faithfulness was still being learned. It was still being practiced. And so even in the midst of communism, even in the midst of political uproar, even in the midst of having a black mark on you already from your first attempt to escape, you were still being faithful to the Lord. You weren't holding back on the practice of your faith. You were still practicing your faith. And I think that's such an important lesson for us to learn uh, in life, whether, whether we're young or old, that, that in a period of waiting, when we're in a period of, ma- of waiting, will we still be faithful? That is so true, um, Dr. Taylor. I, I, I see, uh, I look back in my life and I see those times of waiting. Um, but um, while we are waiting, God is preparing That's us right. and God is building the spiritual muscles that we need That's right. to face off the future adversities right. and future mountains that we have to go through. The waiting times are not bad times they are good times they are fruitful times we grow we mature and um in hiding when god is preserving us in hiding it's it's like you have a a, you have a precious uh, jewelry in your home you don't expose it all the time sometimes you hide it and you 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 work on it and god works on us in hiding and he prepares us for the work that he has for us so i don't see those years as lost years mm-hmm. even though when i was there i was tempted to think that way that's right and i looked at my friends growing up and uh, getting married and having children and all the beautiful girls in town that were going <laughs> for the other boys and right. i thought what am i doing here waiting right. and right. not progressing and not getting my life going but god knew what he was doing that's right so you come to the us um you go through your undergrad you've now met christine at this point in time right yes and then you move from the west coast to south carolina to do your bible your Bible degree, correct, and then on to Regent University for law school. How old are you and Christina when you guys finish your undergrad and your law school? How old are you at that point in time? So I was uh, about 28 years of age, and my wife was about 24. Okay. Yeah. And when you finished all of that? Yes. Okay. And then you jump in. Why do you move to Georgia to begin the, pra- to begin the practice? What, what is it? How does God direct your path? In that Actually, regard? it was very interesting because after I finished law school, I, we wanted to move uh, back to the West Coast where we have most of our family living there in the Seattle, Washington area, Vancouver, Portland, Oregon. And I took the bar exam in Vancouver, Washington, and the Lord just blessed me. I passed the first time. Mm. And um, we thought that that was the direction that God called us to go. And after I passed the bar exam, the Lord just changed the direction of our lives. And Mm. we decided it was just a spontaneous uh, move and shift in the way we we thought. And we moved to Georgia. We had some friends here and we thought that we would, uh, it would be a better uh, place for us to just be uh, on our own and grow and mature and give of ourselves to the community here. Mm -hmm. And there's a large Romanian population in this area. Yes, there yeah, is. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you're in the law practice. Why do you choose the the, the level of practice that you're in? Very good. Well, um, again, I I I, I did something that I was accustomed to do when I was in uh, the refugee camp in Austria for about a year. I was offered a a place of work there. They gave me a job because I was able to speak English and Romanian, and I helped the Romanian people fill out their papers for asylum applications, fear of persecution in the communist country of Romania. And uh, not only that, but... um, I had an encounter with the U.S. Embassy in Vienna, Austria. This is another episode that, uh, if I may, I would like to share. Mm -hmm. While I was there in the refugee camp, um, I was preparing to start my day. It was early in the morning, and uh, there were lots of immigrants from all over the world, uh, About probably about 50, 60 people in one room, bunk beds, and lots of noise, and... um, 
the day before, I, I, with the money that I received from working uh, in, in that um, organization, I bought me a wallet. That was my first wallet that I had. I didn't have much money, but I wanted to have a wallet. And I got down into my bunk bed to um, uh, straighten out the bed. And by the time I get up uh, to grab my wallet from the uh, uh, top bed, it was not there anymore. Someone stole it. And um, that was the, the condition of the refugee camp. But anyway, the next day in the morning, the door to that room opens up wide open and here comes the director of that uh, refugee camp dressed up with a suit and a white shirt and tie and after him a couple of other men tall and beautiful and and like I've never seen before and then I thought I'm recognizing these people I met these people somewhere but why are they here and the director of the camp the refugee camp called out my name and he said Cornell Patra so I raised my hand, and the two men came to me, and they, they hugged me. One of them was a senator from Kentucky, and the other one was a pastor. I met them in Romania, and I translated for them mm. in my church, and they heard that I escaped. So they came, and they looked for me in the refugee camp, mm. and they took me to the American embassy, and um, they were talking with the ambassador, and I was there sitting in this big office, and uh, they served us drinks, and they gave us uh, a napkin with the emblem of uh, U.S. Department of State, and I, I, I thought, I'm going to steal this napkin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. <laughs> and and I, I put it in my pocket, uh, to remember that day and they talked about uh, sports and uh, things about the United States I, I was amazed of how those people were so natural and they were uh, communicating and exchanging thoughts and and finally they said so Cornell translated for us in Romania and when we were in his church and we how old were you when you translated uh, I started probably at the age of 18, okay. 17, 18. And they said we would like to help him come to the United States. Uh, how can we expedite and um the whole process normally would last for about uh, three four five years at times and uh, because of god's favor i was able to come to the united states within one year mm. of my time in in the refugee camp anyway but that was an experience that i will never forget how these people came and looked for me and remembered me and um the same senator that from Kentucky that went back to Romania several other times during communism, uh, he was the one who came to my brother's funeral in Austria. My brother escaped, and he crossed the border from Romania into uh, uh, Hungary and from Hungary into Austria, and that's where he was killed by a drunken Austrian mm. driver. And um, I went to the funeral service. I was the only one th from my family who went to the funeral service, and the senator learned about that, and he um, went with me mm. to the funeral. Mm. And um, I, I just, those those days bring memories of of men and, uh, and, and, and their dedication to the body of Christ, the suffering body of Christ uh, that was behind the iron cur curtains of Romania. What a man, and I have learned so much from, from that experience. I, I love how we can see God's hand in hindsight, and, and we get to see uh, the line that God is directing. That I, I, I love the kind of the picture of the eight-year-old Cornel Patra sitting on the very minimalist uh, pew in that church where you feel called to do something for the Lord, the 14-year-old Patra Cornell who, who, who ends up submitting his life to Christ, the, the six-year period of waiting from 18 to 24 to get to that spot where you're translating in your church, where you're meeting different people, where you're being faithful, working a job, helping your family financially, doing those different pieces, but faithfulness taking place, and then being in this refugee camp after a successful escape and meeting back again with this senator and this pastor who you, who you had met years prior, just in the process of being faithful, and just to see how the Lord is orchestrating every step along the way that he's with you on that pew, and he's with you uh, in this, in those translation meetings, and he's with you, laying on your belly in the cornfield, waiting for the guards to pass, and he's with you in in the camp, 
waiting for a probably five to seven year immigration process. Uh, and, and, and he's with you at every step of the way. And that's such an important message. A lot of times we think that our lives are meant to be linear. We're meant, we're meant to move from one thing that we had planned that we hope that God is in it to the next thing that we've planned that we're hoping that God is in it. Uh, and that's just not how life works. Life is nonlinear. Uh, and no matter what takes place, the question is, will we be faithful in that process to really be faithful to what God has for us? And I love hearing that story, knowing where you are now and understanding that you're using your, your law firm, you're using the financial blessings that the Lord has given to you and your family for the kingdom is such a beautiful evidence uh, of this idea that God is with us at every step of the way. The question is, will we be faithful there? Uh, let's just be faithful in, in that time frame. And then the next step, let's be faithful there and trust in the fact that God's perfect hand of guidance is upon our lives if we are seeking to place him at the center of our lives, which you've done, which I absolutely love. You, you had this successful law firm, multiple locations. You're, you're serving uh, other folks who are trying to come to this nation uh, and so I think that's a powerful ministry just in and of itself. Um, in your own life now, you're very involved at your church at 12 Stone. Uh, you are in, involved in teaching a large group of men every week. Uh, you send out devotions that you're writing every day. And before we came on air, I was saying, I don't know whether you ever sleep because it, it just <laughs> amazes me. I'm, I'm one of the recipients of that, of that study, and it, it, it enriches my heart every day when I read it. Um, Walk me through a little bit of the idea of why you take the development of men so seriously um, and the idea of the Bible studies that you're contributing. None of those things are in the sphere uh, of the law firm, which is your vocation, and yet your faithfulness is being defined in these other ways. Why are you spending so much time? Why, does the, why is that such an important component for you as a man? Well, that's a good, very good question, and I was wondering about that the other day when I was under so much pressure to uh, write uh, a message that the Lord put on my heart. But here is here's what what's going on. I I like to stay wired up and tuned in with God, and I love man. I, I love to invest in the lives of men. The Lord gave me three boys. And um, it's an incredible thing when I see others investing in my boys and pouring into their lives. They all went through Hebron Christian Academy. And when they come back from college, do you know they come back to visit the campus of Hebron Christian Academy sure. and they visit with the teachers who are role models in their lives and invested in their lives? God called us not only to receive in life, God invested in, in, in me, in you, in all of us. And we need to give out. If not, we become a dead sea. But God is calling us not only to receive, but to give unto others. And in this group of men that, uh, that I have, where I post a, a, a devotion every day, it is a way of me um, allowing God to be an instrument in his hands to encourage, to build up to help others who are struggling in life. And um, it's, 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 it's a good way for me to stay in tune with the voice of the Lord. I love waking up early in the morning and just listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking. And there are many men in, in, in our community, Dr. Taylor, who, uh, you know, they either retire or they um, reach the highest level of their careers and they think I can put it in the cruise and I can enjoy the rest of my life. That's what I thought about myself right. a few years back. Right. And I was driving on this road up in the mountains and the Lord spoke to my heart. So you think you're going to put your life on cruise control? I will use you. And if you make yourself available, I will use you. And I'm so ready for God to use me in, in building up others. Uh, recently, we went to, on a mission trip to um, uh, Kenya, uh, Africa, with a group of men from our church. And that was another great experience to connect with other men who love the Lord. And who um, I, I do believe that the men of our communities, if each one of us would rise up to the call of God and invest in others, 
I think that our country would change. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about, we just celebrated Father's Day. And I am thinking about um, the lack of fatherhood. And as a result of the lack of fatherhood in our families, we see lack of manhood in the young generation of boys that are growing up. And because of that, we see so much going on in, 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 in the lives of our young boys in, in, in our community, in our country. And if every man would take the call of God seriously, we could inv- get involved, mentor someone, mm-hmm. take one mm-hmm. young boy That's or right. two or three and invest in them and give them the word of God and share with them uh, our life experiences. I believe that we could change our country. We could change the next um, uh, generation that's coming up by investing in their lives. And I feel that when we, 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 we stand up and give a little bit of that which God gives us, God will multiply that. And I, I hear lots of people who are tuned into this um, um, platform where I'm posting the devotions every morning that they share with others. In, in their Bible study groups, and God is doing an incredible thing. I am very honored to allow the Holy Spirit to use me as a conduit into the lives of others. It's, it's so often, you and I are, are pretty close in age, it, it's, it's so often when I'm, when I'm chatting with other guys, and they, it's almost like 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, people are reaching a level of financial success, and they're, they're cashing in their chips, and, and it's, it's almost like they're no spiritual good after that point. It's, it's so fascinating, and yet, and yet, 50s, 60s, and 70s is when our toolboxes are the most full. We're the most prepared to deal with, with real issues in life. We're the most prepared to develop other young people, young men, young women, uh, who are in our sphere of influence. We're the most prepared, we're the most able, we're the most ready, and yet so many people during those periods of time, they're cashing in their chips and they're stepping out of being any impact from a spiritual perspective. In and isolationism. Think, shame. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we cannot isolate. We cannot retreat. That's Satan's strategy That's to right. isolate us. Right. Uh, about seven yeah. years ago, um, the Lord put heavily on my heart to start a, a, a Bible study a, a men's group. So for the past seven years, I've been meeting with a group of men in my home and in my office and, and talking about life and being accountable mm-hmm. to each other. Community so is so important. Right. I didn't have that, Dr. Taylor, right. before, and it's it's very hard to do life and i would like to encourage every man do not isolate man right. find a place to get involved mm. i teach a group as you know on friday mornings here and and i i find one it's edifying for me so purely from a selfish perspective i need community yes i need to be a, be with these guys but also just the idea of building into the lives of those guys who are a little bit younger than me or about the same age and really calling them to the high calling of, of understanding what it is to fully serve Christ in practice, which is which is so crucial. You're, the Bible study that you put out yesterday, you were quoting a section of scripture from Hosea, and it was talking about kind of the desolation of the nation. Um, this is still the answer for America. Mm. It, that hasn't changed. The gospel is still the answer. You know, that we can sometimes look at the world around us and we feel like the world is getting darker that there are things that are acceptable now that weren't acceptable five years, 10 years ago uh, that, aren't, that aren't healthy. Uh, and we can look at those things and we could, we could uh, respond with rejection or we could respond uh, with, with, with you know, depression. Uh, instead, you know, we have to understand that when, when the room is darker, our light shines brighter. And that, that we can step into that, that realm with the truth of the gospel that is never changing, that is still the answer for mankind, that is still the answer for America, that we get to step in with the truth of the gospel. And that is, in essence, what we're trying to do with our lives, is that we're trying to live this idea, the joy of leadership at its essence is this mindset of say. We're going to take our vocation and make sure that we apply our true calling, which is to be a servant of Christ, which is to be a servant of God. Our true calling is that idea of our faith. We're going to practice that in our own sphere of influence, which, we, which you are doing exceptionally well. Uh, it is such a privilege to be able to count you as a friend. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you on our board as well here the last little bit. 
Uh, I'm excited just to see what God is going to be doing in, in your life and in your leadership in these next 10, 20, 30 years, which should be the highest points of impact of our whole lives uh, because our toolboxes are the most full, you know, as, as we're leaving, how, how has, and I, I, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but how has your immigrant story continued to inform your life even today? Very interesting question. The Lord brings back to uh, my memory those years behind the Iron Curtain. And God keeps telling me, do not forget. Do not forget. Remember. Remember where you came from. Remember how I brought you out of that um, cage, mm-hmm. out of that slavery that you were in. And I think that God wants all of us to remember where we were before we mm-hmm. found him. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 freedom for me is such an important thing. But the freedom that we have is more than the freedom that we experience in this country. And still, America is the greatest country in the world Absolutely. to live in. I love this place. And you are from Canada and you have experienced the freedoms of this country. We have seen how in Canada things are going down in Europe and in other parts of the world. Christians are persecuted. And even here in the United States, we have to remember what God has done in our lives. Remembering is an important aspect of our walk with the Lord. Why? Because tough times are ahead of us. What do we do when we face impassable mountains? What I do, I remember what God has done for me in the past. And what he's done in the past for me, he's willing to do again. He can move mountains, impassable mountains. And he can do the impossible when we cannot remembering the past remembering how god worked in our lives is an important aspect of our journeys in life as believers amen cornell it's a blessing to have you on season three of the joy of leadership uh thank you for coming on the show thank you dr taylor god bless you we hope you enjoyed this episode of the joy of leadership podcast living in the center of god's will is a rare blessing in today's day and age help us share this vital story of passionate leadership if you would like to comment on the show or if you know someone who would be a perfect guest contact us at the joy of leadership at gmail.com if you like the show and don't want to miss a single episode make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform